Amen. Well, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We're glad you're here. On the back table, we have some Bibles. So if you don't have a Bible, I would highly encourage you to go grab one. And we have them in different languages. So please grab one of those. But we've been going through the Word verse by verse, going through the Gospels in chronological order. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 15 today. And Jesus had been ministering in Galilee and in the area surrounding Galilee. And if you remember, just a few weeks ago, Jesus had fed the 5,000. And remember, the 5,000 was counting men only. If you were to count women and children, it could be around 15 to 20 or maybe even more, 20,000 people. And Jesus, he healed them all out of five loaves and two fish. It was a divine miracle. After this, the multitudes came back to Jesus, hoping to receive more and to see more miracles. And Jesus ended up teaching them that they had to surrender And the message that Jesus taught them, it did not sit well with them. And thousands of them walked away from Jesus. After this, Jesus left that area, still in the same region. And where we were at last week, Matthew 15, verses 1 through 20, Jesus was contending once again with the religious leaders. So the Pharisees and the scribes came from Jerusalem, and they came with hopes to accuse Jesus, to discredit who he was, And just come up with another reason not to believe him. Ultimately, that's what the religious leaders were doing. Trying to find any and every reason not to follow and surrender to Jesus. And so the accusation they brought to Jesus was, why don't your disciples eat with with washed hands? Why do they not wash their hands before they eat? And Jesus, he explained to them that God is seeking that which is in the heart, not that which is external. And these religious leaders were focused too much on their traditions instead of following the word of God and being obedient to God. And so last week we asked the question, what's in your heart? What's in your heart? Is it sin in your heart or is it Jesus? And also the follow-up question, what are you putting into your heart? Because what's in will come out. So if you're in the presence of Jesus, more than likely you're going to radiate Jesus. If you're not, you're going to radiate something else. So what are you putting into your heart? So we're going to pick up in Matthew 15, starting in verse 21, and we're going to see what happens next with Jesus. So if you're following along, let's take a look at verses 21 through 22. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. So Jesus departs from the region of Galilee, and this will start um, a lot of Jesus' ministry beyond Galilee. And he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is around 63 kilometers northwest of the Sea of Galilee. And as soon as Jesus departs from there, this woman comes from that region. And this woman is said in the text to be from Canaan. In other gospel accounts, especially Mark's gospel, this woman is called a Syrophoenician woman. And at this point, Phoenicia which was also known as Canaan. It was a part of the Roman province of Syria. And that's why they were called Syrophoenicians, but also from the land of Canaan. So this woman comes to Jesus crying out, saying her daughter was severely demon-possessed. So there's a lot to unpack here. Number one, we see right off the bat a great example that this woman sets for us. Because this woman came to Jesus with a very serious and a very desperate situation. Her daughter was severely possessed by demons. And so she demonstrates to us what we should do when we're walking through a hardship, maybe not as extreme as this, but maybe it is. Any hardship. 
she comes and she cries out to Jesus. What are you doing when things are going wrong in your life? Are you going to Jesus or are you going to other things and other people and other sources instead of Jesus? Are you questioning Jesus or are you taking everything to Jesus? Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Him. This is what we're called to do, and this woman was doing this. She was going to Jesus. The second thing I see here in this verse, how would a woman who is from Canaan nearly 63 kilometers away from Jerusalem in the areas where Jesus was primarily ministering, how would a woman all the way out there hear about Jesus and his wonder-working power? Well, the answer is simple, as we've talked about before. People were sharing about Jesus. His reputation was being made known, and people were sharing all that Jesus had been doing. And so it extended so much further than Jerusalem, Capernaum, and Galilee. Now it was all the way out in this region of Canaan. That's incredible. The message of Jesus is what has the power to save, and people were sharing what Jesus was doing. So that this woman, 63 kilometers or so away, heard about it. With that in mind, are we doing that? Are we going out and sharing what Jesus has done for our lives? Because in case you forgot, maybe you sit and you think God's not working. Take a look in the mirror because God has saved your life. And that's every reason enough to go out and share about Jesus. God is working. So are we doing the same? The third thing I I see here, this woman says her daughter is not just demon-possessed, but severely demon-possessed. What does this mean? to be severely possessed by demons. Well, it could be one of two things. For one, it could be that this girl was demon-possessed, and at one point, the demon was cast out, and Jesus, he, he taught on this in Matthew 12, 43-45, that if an unclean spirit goes out of a person, it will go and seek to find a new place to dwell, and if it can't find one, it will go back to that person if they haven't accepted Christ. But it will take with them even more demons, and the state of that person is worse than it originally was. This could have happened, but if you look at the Greek word for severely, it interprets to mean to miserable or ill or sick. And so I tend to believe instead of maybe having hundreds or thousands of demons in her, the demon possession was merely being described as terrible and sick and ill. And it's true. That's what demon possession is, and it's still happening today. We're under attack spiritually, and there are many people oppressed and miserable spiritually because of attacks of the enemy. And so this woman, she came knowing that her daughter was severely and miserably oppressed and possessed by a demon, and she came crying out to Jesus for her. We should have the same heart for the people of this world who are oppressed by Satan, who are oppressed by demons, to intercede for them and come and cry out to Jesus. Note, this woman, she was interceding to Jesus for her daughter. Are we taking the people of this city to God in prayer, asking for God to draw them to himself, and asking for Jesus to reveal his truth to them that they might be set free? Once again, a great example from this woman. Now, you might read this and you might say, well, if this woman's daughter was demon-possessed, how old was this girl? Was she a young girl? Was she older? And we're not told in Matthew's account. Could be she was... You know, an adult. We don't know how old this woman was. We don't know how old her daughter was. But 
the, the reality remains the same. She was demon-possessed. So let's see what happens next in verse 23. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. This is an interesting verse. This is one of those stories I read in Scripture, and I'm always, I'm always puzzled by it. Because you look at Jesus' response. This, wo- this woman cries out, My daughter severely demon-possessed, and Jesus answers her not a word. Why? Well, I believe Jesus, he's exhibiting one of his attributes of being God, and that attribute is that he's omniscient or all-knowing. Jesus, he already knew about this situation. He already knows how it's going to turn out and what the end result is going to be. And I believe Jesus knew that his delayed response would result in a greater display of faith for this woman. And what a word for each of us. Sometimes when we take things to God in prayer, we feel like the answer of Jesus, we we feel like he doesn't hear us. I can imagine this woman, after she cried out to Jesus and he didn't answer her, I could imagine she felt that Jesus was maybe ignoring her. How many times do you feel the same when you go to God in prayer and you don't see what you're praying for answered? You think that, oh, maybe God doesn't hear me. Maybe he's disregarding me. Maybe he's ignoring me. Notice, Jesus heard the woman. His response was delayed. It's not that he didn't hear her. It's not that he didn't care about her. He just didn't answer at the time. And many times in prayer, once again, we feel like God does not acknowledge us, but he does. Revelation chapter 8 verse 4 is an amazing verse because it gives us a glimpse of heaven. And it says, in the smoke of the incense, with the prayers of the saints, the saints are me and you, right? The prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. So this tells us our prayers do come before the throne of God. And they're like incense before him. It's something that's pleasing to him. And he loves it. God loves to hear your prayers. He does hear you. And I believe someone in here needs to hear that today because you're ready to give up praying. Don't give up in prayer. The Bible says pray without ceasing. Why? Because God does hear your prayers. God loves when we're persistent. Why? Because it deepens our dependence on Him. And this is the heart of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 that says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. The act of casting your cares, Peter's writing in fisherman terms. He's referring to how a fisherman would cast his net into the sea. And he'd pull it up. And sometimes there was nothing in the net. So what did he do? He cast it in again. It's a continual act. And this is what God loves. He loves when we're persistent because it deepens our dependence on Him. So what is your response when you don't get an answer to your prayers immediately? Do you have anger towards God? Or are you deepening your trust and your dependence on Him? Something to think about. But something I think is very key in verse 23 that I don't want to glance over. This is really important. Look at Jesus' disciples' response. Read it again in verse 23. Send her away, for she cries out after us. The disciples oftentimes, they they exhibit relatable responses to certain situations. That's, That's why I like reading about the disciples, because I can relate to them many times. But when I read this story, it's really a heartbreaking response that they have, isn't it? Because you look at this woman's situation. She had a daughter who was severely demon-possessed. Could you imagine that? For those of you who have kids, maybe you can imagine it. I don't know, you know, it's not a pleasant thought for you to imagine. But you can maybe empathize more with this woman than I can. I don't have kids. But imagine this woman, her daughter, severely possessed by demons. 
And the disciples' response, it's not empathy, it's not compassion, it's not sorrow. They're like, Jesus, send her away. The disciples were so busy ministering that when an opportunity for ministry arose, they were inconvenienced by it. Isn't that amazing? How often do we do that? I know I do it all the time. I'm so focused on ministering and doing ministry that when ministry opportunities actually present themselves with the people God has placed, I'm inconvenienced by it. The disciples were losing sight of the fact that this is who Jesus came for. He came for all people and they were missing it. They were inconvenienced and annoyed by it. And this wasn't a pleasant situation. It was a messy situation. This woman had a demon-possessed daughter. That's not a pleasant situation to be faced with. But you know what? What a privilege that they were able to be a part of this. And how many times do we do the same things today as the disciples did when God places a person in our life to minister to or people in our lives to minister to? And we think that we're, we're too inconvenienced by it. We're too annoyed by it. We don't want to deal with it. Have you forgotten that ministry is not a have to, it's a get to? We get to minister to these people. And you know what? What a privilege. What an honor and a privilege to be invited into these lives to minister to them. The disciples didn't have to minister to this woman. They had an opportunity to, and they were annoyed and inconvenienced by it. And maybe that's been you lately, losing sight of the people Jesus has placed in your life to minister to. And I get it. Some things are hard to deal with. Some people are hard to deal with. We're human. Some people are annoying. We're annoying. But God has called us to minister and to show the grace and mercy that He's shown us and to love like He loves us. What a privilege it is to serve. But the disciples were missing what was right in front of them because they were inconvenienced. Let's not miss what God is trying to do in front of us, church. Let's not miss the people God is bringing into our lives to minister to. Let's look at verse 24. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus is explaining why he he delayed his response. He said he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We know that Jesus came for the whole world. Jesus said this in John 3.16. He said, for God so loved the world, not just Israel. He so loved the world that he sent his son. But Jesus was primarily ministering to Israel. He wanted to show them that his promise that their Messiah was coming, it was being fulfilled. So don't mistake this. Jesus, he did come for the whole world, and he loves all people equally. But also don't miss this, that Israel, they're still God's chosen people. That hasn't changed. And God was was ministering to them because they lived and breathed to see their Messiah come. Their whole lives revolved around this fact of seeing their Messiah, and their Messiah was right there in front of them. So Jesus wanted to show his people, the Messiah is here and I am him. And I have the answer for your sins. So Jesus, he loves all people and he came for all people. Don't mistake this by the text. Let's look at verse 25. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. This is incredible. The, The woman's response to the silence was what? It was worship. Read verse 25 again. She came, not complained, not yelled at him. She came and worshipped him. The woman's response to this delay of prayer, it was worship. This woman's faith was ever increasing and Jesus knew this. And this is what Jesus was desiring to do to grow her in her faith. 
This woman was at the end of herself and it was here that she really surrendered to who Jesus was and surrendered to his power. And being at the end of ourselves is a good place to be. Why? Because when we're at the end of ourselves, our dependence on Jesus, it increases. This woman had no resources. She had nothing or no one to solve her problems with. And it's once again, this story shows us that man-made solutions can never fix a spiritual problem. This woman saw this. And in the same way, man-made solutions aren't going to change the spiritual problem of this city and of this nation and of this world. The only one to do that is Jesus. He's the only one. The only one who can change a spiritually dark heart is Jesus Christ. And we're kind of created this idea that if we throw money at a situation, it's going to become better. That's not the case. Jesus is the only one who has the power to save. So this woman, she was at the end of herself, surrendered to God's power. This is a beautiful place to be. But as I was thinking about this thought, I had to ask the question, why do we always wait until we're at the end of ourselves to surrender to Jesus? Why do we always wait until something catastrophic is going on in our life to surrender? Why don't we surrender to Jesus daily? Surrender to whose power daily? No matter what's going on in our lives, we are just fully surrendered to who Jesus is. And many times we go out and minister, but we don't have peace because our mind is not on Jesus. It's not stayed on Him. It's not surrendered to Him. Our eyes aren't on His power. It's on our problems and how we're going to handle situations instead of merely who Jesus is. And this week, God convicted me so much. Take your eyes off yourself and put them back on me. Because if you're to do anything, you need to surrender to me. If you want to see fruit, you need to surrender to me. We need him. We can't do anything without him. So what is it in your life that you need to lay down and surrender or perhaps re-surrender to Jesus? Maybe it's your resources. Maybe it's your pride. Whatever it is. Maybe it's sin. Are you going to lay it down to Jesus? This woman's response to a catastrophic situation in her life was worship. What's your response to what's going on in your life? Is it complaining or is it worship? And that was the message that Jeff shared a few weeks ago. God didn't call us to complain. He called us to worship. Let's look at verses 26 through 27. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Wait a minute, Jesus. This is mean. Why did you just say that it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs? And this is this story, it trips up many people because they think that Jesus is being very derogatory towards this woman. So what is Jesus saying here? Because his response initially sounds rather harsh. Well, once again, understand the heart of Jesus. His heart was clear. He was after her heart, and his heart was to deepen her faith. Now, understand the Jewish people, they called non-Jewish people dogs in a very derogatory sense. And I believe that Jesus... He used this term for two reasons. One, to show that he was going to act contrary to what man said and what man's labels were. He was going to go against that and he's going to act contrary to that to minister to this woman. But I also believe Jesus was teaching the disciples an important lesson here. That even those people that other people may consider to be less are not less in the eyes of God and they're not of less importance in ministry. But once again, Jesus... He's testing this woman's faith. And God does this. People don't understand this about God, that he does test our faith. He doesn't tempt us. The devil tempts us, but God does test us. James chapter 1, verse 3 says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 
And if you correlate that with Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, Paul said this. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations or testings, knowing that testing or tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so the heart of Jesus was for this woman to grow in her faith, but he was also teaching the disciples a lesson here. The Jewish people may not consider these people to be anything, and you might not think that they're worth ministering to, but absolutely they are, and Jesus is going to prove that by what he does in verse 28. But before we get there, I think it's important to notice the woman's response. She doesn't get all up in her feelings and like, can you just call me a dog? No. This woman, had she had great faith. She doesn't refute the fact that people did consider them to be dogs. Instead, she said that even the dogs get the crumbs. This is an amazing statement. She persisted, but she persisted in who Jesus was and still acknowledged his power. This woman was content with receiving little because she knew the little she received from Jesus was enough to solve the problem that was wrong with her daughter. Isn't that amazing? How, how much we lose sight of the power of God today because we think that our situations, our trials, or our problems, and the people and the relationships in our lives are so great and they're so massive and that God can't fix them and that God can't work. This woman was content with receiving little because she knew the little she received was enough. What is your perspective on, on the power of Jesus? What is your response? Does your heart and your attitude look like this woman's? What is your view on what God is capable of doing? It's amazing as they're doing Sunday school in there, you tell the kids that God, He saved Noah and his family by putting them all in the ark. They love it. They believe it. They're amazed by it. You, you tell them about David going against Goliath, they're amazed by it. They're amazed by the power of God. Somehow we get older in our faith and we lose sight of it and how amazing God is and what His power is able to do because we complain about things and worry about things that are so minor compared to these things in Scripture. Finances. God is our provider. When has He let you down? He never has. Maybe we worry about sickness. We lose sight that God... He healed so many sicknesses far worse than what we're going through. And maybe if the sickness is greater than what these people were going through, He still has the power to heal. He raised dead people back to life. We lose sight of who Jesus is and His power. But we also lose sight of this, that no matter what happens to us, the power of Jesus reconciled us to God so that we can live with Him for all of eternity. Because sometimes the sick aren't always healed. Sometimes we don't always get what we want, but the power of Jesus still rings true. He made it possible for us to spend eternity with Him. So do you have the same perspective of this woman, that even the little that God will give to you is enough? And you know, this is commendable faith. So let's see how Jesus responds in verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So Jesus commends this woman for her faith, and he said this woman had great faith. The word great here, it translates to mean exceedingly large, strong, something that's loud. And this is how Jesus described this woman's faith. It needs to be loud like the children's faith right now. right? But this is how Jesus described this woman's faith. How would Jesus describe your faith if you were standing before Jesus? How would he describe your faith? Would he describe your faith like this woman where he said, how great is your faith? 
where He commends you because your faith is strong. Your faith is it's powerful. It's large. It's loud. You're expressing your faith. Or would He say, oh, you of little faith, like He said many times to the disciples. How would Jesus describe your faith? I've been convicted on this thought this week. Are you fully surrendered to Jesus? This woman, her faith was strong because she was surrendered to Jesus. Listen, you don't need to wait till you're at the end of yourself to surrender to Jesus. And maybe you're in here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You don't have to wait till you're at the end of life to give your life to Jesus, till you're at the end of your resources to give your life to Jesus. Because what Jesus has to offer you is right here. All it takes is for you to surrender. The hope, peace, joy, the life and forgiveness that you long for, it's found. All you have to do is surrender to Jesus. So Jesus fulfilled this woman's desire and he healed her daughter. And once again, an amazing lesson for the disciples and us to learn that Jesus, he was indeed interested in this woman and her problems. The disciples weren't. They said, send her away. We don't want to deal with her. Jesus, he didn't do that. What was Jesus' response? Who did he respond to? The disciples when they said, send her away, or this woman who was coming before him with faith? Jesus responded to the woman. And he healed the woman's daughter. No one is of less importance for us to minister to. And if Jesus is interested in all people and all the many problems that people have, so should we as we bear his name and as we go out to do his work. So who is it in your life that Jesus is calling you to minister to? Remember, you don't have to minister to this person or these people. You get to. You get to be a part of the work that Jesus is doing. Because Jesus is going to reach that person with or without you. But so many times when we're not surrendering to Jesus and His power, our eyes are focused on our strength and we think what we can do and how we can save people when we can't. Only Jesus can. Jesus' heart was for all people and our heart should be for all people as well. Lastly, notice, and then we'll move on. This is important to skip. That even though this girl was severely demon-possessed at the word of Jesus, He didn't even lay hands on her. Merely the word of Jesus this girl was set free from these demons. It shows us that the many demons had no choice but to surrender to the power of Jesus. They had no choice but to submit to Him. The power of Jesus was greater than the demonic forces that were taking place and destroying this girl's life. And for the Christians who are here struggling with spiritual warfare, here is an encouraging reminder that the enemy that we face is a defeated foe. He's defeated. And all power and all victories in Jesus. We've been talking about this on Wednesday night as we've been going through this book. And we've been reminded that Satan's a defeated foe. He has no choice but to submit to the power of Jesus. But too many Christians today, they live and act and minister like they're on the losing side. Too many Christians live defeated lives instead of the victorious lives that we have in Jesus. And so many Christians say, oh, I wish I was free. Well, Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So if you've given your life to Jesus, you are free. But too many Christians live like they're on the defeated side, like they're on the losing side. And they're so dismayed by the spiritual darkness instead of keeping their eyes on the power of Jesus and His ability to save and to change. So what are your eyes on? Are your eyes on Jesus? Are you walking and living in that freedom knowing who our God is and His mighty power? Let's see what happens next in verses 29 through 31. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. 
So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So Jesus, he walked alongside the Sea of Galilee, and once again, Jesus, he does what he typically did. He went to a mountain. And you could imagine Jesus went here to rest. Once again, Jesus models for us what we're to be doing, especially as we, as we serve him. Yesterday I was running, and it was an all-day event. It was from 6 to 6, and I was with my neighbors who invited me. And I'm so laser-focused on what I need to do. That's all I'm thinking about. I just want to run. Show me where I'm running, and that's all you need to tell me. And my neighbors would stop me many times during the day, and they said, you need to eat. Because if you don't eat, you're not going to be able to run in the afternoon. And I would tell them, no, I don't need to eat. Sure enough, 12 o'clock comes around, and I'm like about to pass out. I'm running. I'm starting to see things and hallucinate. And I get back, and my neighbor said, yeah, you need to eat. How many times do we do the same thing in ministry? We're so laser-focused at what God is doing that we want to accomplish it, and we forsake rest. We forsake taking the necessary steps that we need to be healthy. I wasn't sprinting for five minutes yesterday. He was running all day. And ministry is the same way. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And we're in this for the long haul. So we need to take care of ourselves. We need to rest, as Jesus did. So the multitudes, once again, they followed Jesus. And there were thousands of people in this multitude. And the people in this crowd, they brought the sick to Jesus. Why? Because they knew if they brought the sick to Jesus, Jesus had the power to heal them. Are we doing the same thing with people out in this city? Or have we lost perspective? Have we lost perspective that Jesus has the power to heal and that he has the power to save? Because there's a lot of spiritually dark people and many times we're scared to share Jesus with them because we're scared of what their response is going to be. We're scared of, of rejection we may face. We think that we may be pushing them. The sick, these multitudes brought the sick people to Jesus because they knew he could heal them. And this should be our perspective as we go out and share Jesus. We should go out with confidence knowing that these lost, dark people, they can be changed by the power of Jesus. So let's not forget the power of God in his word to save and change a heart. Isaiah 59 verse 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Now, these multitudes don't just bring these sick people to Jesus, but what do they, they do? It tells us in verse 30. They laid them down at Jesus' feet. There's such a peace and beauty when we just lay down our lives at the feet of Jesus. When we lay down our problems at the feet of Jesus and our fears and worries and other people at the feet of Jesus. Because to surrender at the feet of Jesus is to surrender to His power and to what He's able and capable of doing. So what is it in your life that, he, that you need to lay down? You just need to surrender it. To, to surrender means you're letting go of something. What do you need to let go of in your life today? The Lord loves you. He wants to hear from you. He wants to set you free. He doesn't want you to live burdened. He wants you to lay these things down before Him. And maybe you're here and you haven't surrendered to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I have a question. What's keeping you back from doing so? What is keeping you from surrendering to Jesus? Because the peace... The love, the hope, the forgiveness that your heart is longing for, whether you know your heart's longing for it or not, it's found in Jesus. So notice in verse 31, and then we'll, we'll move on. Actually, let me backtrack a little bit, because this is important. Jesus, he heals all these people. In verse 31, it should really encourage us, because it tells us the mute spoke, the maimed were made whole, the lame walked, and the blind were seeing. 
This should encourage us that the same Jesus who did these things is the same Jesus who hears our prayers each and every day, who intercedes for us every day, and He's the same one that we're praying to, the same one that we just sang songs to. He's the one who still has the power to do these things today. And many people say, why doesn't Jesus do these things today? He does. The power of Jesus hasn't changed. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is who Jesus is. This should encourage us. Whatever you're walking through today, your situation is not too great that Jesus can't change it. Not too grievous that Jesus can't enter in and work beauty out of it. Look at our lives. He's changed and redeemed our lives. Now, last thing in verse 31, it says, and they glorified the God of Israel. Jesus didn't do these miracles to prove something to people. He didn't do these miracles to prove a point. He did this so God would receive the glory. And this is important because many times we ask God for many things all for the wrong reasons instead of for the reason to glorify God. So let's read verse 32 to the end of our chapter and our last story for the day. Now, Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those who ate were four thousand men besides women and children. And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. So we see here, once again, another story similar to the feeding of the 5,000. This is the feeding of the 4,000. And yes, they were different instances, took place at separate times. So these thousands of people come that Jesus had been healing. and, And notice the heart of Jesus. He continues to have compassion for them. Once again, Jesus models for us how to live and minister. Jesus could have easily said, I just healed you, leave me alone. No, he healed them, and then he still had compassion on them. And he saw that they were hungry, and that they were with Jesus for three days, and he wanted to feed them. He continues to look out for the needs of others. God had to just convict my heart on this this week, and God just asked me, am I doing the same thing with the people God placed in my life? Am I I looking out for their needs instead of my own? Am I having compassion on those God is putting in front of me? Jesus, he set an example. Now, I love this in verse 33. The disciples, once again, a relatable bunch. They said, where could we get bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? They were just with Jesus. Merely, couldn't have been that long. The time that has passed since Jesus fed the 5,000 now, it couldn't have been long. They just saw Jesus feed 5,000 more people than the people that were here with less than what they have here. They literally have more food here and less people to feed than the feeding of the 5,000. And yet they ask the question, Jesus, how are you going to do this? And I love the disciples because I do the same thing so many times. I see Jesus doing these amazing things, work these amazing wonders and miracles. And then I ask the question, when something new arises, oh, Jesus, how are you going to figure this one out? How am I going to walk through this situation? Oh, Lord, did you hear what they said? How am I going to deal with this person? And I lose sight of what Jesus has already been doing and what he's done. It's amazing. 
how easy it is to lose sight of Jesus' power. The disciples did it. And how easy it is to do the same thing. And this is why we need to be in the Word daily, in prayer often, daily, to bring to remembrance the great power of Jesus and all that He's done. To strengthen our faith and to help us see what Jesus is doing right now in front of us. So we see that Jesus, He asked the disciples what they had, which was seven loaves and a few, maybe three or five fish. And once again, as we studied when Jesus fed the 5,000, Jesus was able to take the, the little that the disciples had and he was able to do something great with it. And just as we saw the feeding of the 5,000, the, the application remains the same and it should encourage us that the little that we have, Jesus is able to take and use for his glory. And the little that we have to offer him is our lives and Jesus is able to take that and he's able to use it to go change this lost and dying world around us. So that should encourage us. Praise the Lord that God doesn't need a single resource or person and yet He invites us in to do the work of ministry. And also, just as we saw with the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus, he, he does the work. He's the one who multiplied the bread and fish. He did the work and then He invites the disciples in to distribute. And in the same sense, Jesus does the same with us. He is the one who, who works wonders. He is the one who changes lives. He is the one who does all these great and amazing things, and He invites us in to be a part of it. Don't lose that, because many times it's easy to get caught up in ministry and what we're doing, and we lose sight that Jesus is actually the one who gives the increase. Jesus is the one who gave the increase in this story, and He's the one who gives increase in the ministry that He has us in. So Jesus, He does this incredible... Once again, another incredible miracle and display of His power. And when you read this story and the other stories that we read, and really the whole Word, when you read about these stories of God manifesting His great power, what is your response to it? Are they just stories to you? Or do they encourage you with who our God is? And is your faith in what Jesus is able to do? Because the enemy wants nothing more than to blind you to the power of Jesus so that you go out in disbelief and doubt. He wants you to live a defeated life. And this is why I love how these stories are in Scripture so that we can be reminded that Jesus is able to do anything and He's the same Jesus that we serve today. So our last verse, Jesus sends the multitudes away and He heads to the region of Magdala. What is Jesus going to do here? You're going to have to wait till next week. So today we finished Matthew 15 and we studied three stories. The first story was with the Syrophoenician woman or this woman from Canaan who had the demon-possessed daughter. Jesus healed her. And taught us an important lesson that no one's of less value to minister to and how we need to be persistent and worship Jesus as this woman did. The second story was the healing of the multitudes where Jesus healed the thousands of people with all their sicknesses. And we're challenged by this thought that as the multitude brought the sick to Jesus, are we bringing the sick to Jesus? Physically, yes, but also spiritually. Are we bringing those who don't know Jesus to Jesus? Are you going out and sharing the gospel? It's not a calling for an evangelist or merely a pastor or a teacher. It's the calling for every Christian to go share the gospel. The last story was the feeding of the 4,000, where Jesus once again did an amazing miracle, took the little that the disciples had and turned it into something amazing and used the disciples to distribute. Though the disciples doubted and lost sight of Jesus' power, he still used them to distribute. And what a great reminder. Because I know for me, I fall flat on my face every single day. I falter every single day. Yet God is still gracious to pick me up and continue to use me. Praise the Lord. None of us are perfect, but God is. And He continues to use us despite us. So praise the Lord for that.
So in all these stories, we saw Jesus display his great and his awesome power. And my prayer reading through these is that the Lord would just fix my eyes upon the power of Jesus, what he's able to do, that I would surrender to that. That I wouldn't wait till I'm at the end of myself to surrender to Jesus, that I would surrender to Jesus each and every day with each and every situation that I'm faced with. Our faith, it must be in Jesus and in his power. And we should be following the examples that he set for us as he goes out and minister and as we are invited to go out and minister as well. So let's pray and then we'll continue to worship. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement that your word is, God. We thank you that your word is alive and powerful and has the power to save. And Lord, it has saved us. It's changed our hearts, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that, Lord, with no solutions, man-made solutions or resources could ever do to our sinful hearts, God, you did. You saved us. And we thank you for your power, Lord, your power over sickness, your power over death, over sin, over every situation that we face, Lord, we can rest in the fact that you are God alone, that you are powerful, that you are worthy, and Lord, that nothing is too hard or too difficult for you. And Lord, we thank you that you hear us. God, as we come before you, you hear our prayers. And you love to hear from us, God. We're so blessed by your heart, God. And Lord, we just want to, Lord, we just want to represent you, Lord, to this world around us. So please give us the faith, God, and help us, remind us who you are. And help us, Lord, to just glorify you in every aspect of our lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.